everyone is weird. Everyone has an eccentric quality because they're all the rejects. You know what mm. I mean? Like they're everyone who didn't fit in and then they made a state. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is our resident LA expert, Ella Kopakin. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come back to this episode later. My goal is to have you read these books with us so you can participate in the conversation. At the beginning of each month, I will outline the books that we will be reviewing, so whether you want to read one, none, or all of them, the choice is up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. You may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read L.A. Woman by Eve Babbitts. Okay, welcome everyone to Red Wine Reads. Ella, what are we drinking today? We are drinking, I just want to say, because this does tie into the book that we're reading. So my favorite beverage in the entire universe is mezcal if I'm drinking alcohol. And um, also I'm only 21, so I've technically, illegally, only been drinking mezcal for one year. Um, but I also got red mezcal because it's called Red Wine Club. Yeah. I I am also not drinking wine today um, because it is flipping cold outside so oh, I did dope. make myself a hot chocolate but I added peanut butter whiskey so I added a little bit of screwball into my hot chocolate it's um it's epic yeah it's the best drink <laughs> ever I'm just saying I'm just saying if you're gonna like pick a really good drink that's what you should pick when it's cold outside you know what I a couple of years ago went to like a winter wonderland Christmas thing and they were doing vodka hot chocolates and it was so good. And I know that I just said I'm 21, so I didn't have any of that vodka hot chocolate. But, <laughs> but I, I imagine, imagine it was, it was so delicious. Good. Should we do a swig before let's we do a swig? Let's do I love a swig. That. Virtual cheers. Virtual cheers. Clink. Clink. Ooh, muzzle tough. Okay. That goes down way too easy. I know. What are we reading today, Jenna? We are reading LA Woman. But you've babbits. That's why I chose mezcal too. I feel like mezcal is a very LA kind of bevy. When I worked at San Diego Magazine, we had a name drop. Name drop. We had a creator of. uh, I was an unpaid intern, so it's not really. (laughs) Okay, stop bragging. We get it. (laughs) Anyways, uh, we had a creator of this mezcal come in and was on our podcast, and he gave me a free bottle. Um, me being, um, on the, you know, a little tiny Christian campus, which you are not allowed to have alcohol. I smuggled (laughs) it into my room, wrapped it in a bunch of towels and put it in my beach bag. (laughs) Um, but it was phenomenal. And they made us mezcal margaritas while we were there. Ooh. Ridiculous. The artists are the best. Yeah. Fell in love with it there. So I get you. God, I love this book. Um, <laughs> I love this book. I love her. I love her. Um, 
Here, here's some quick facts. I know I know Ella's really the true Eve Babbitts fan and aficionado, but uh, here's some quick <laughs> drop facts. Drop it in, drop it in. Fic- quick facts that I found about her. She's kind of known for having a fun, loud personality. You know, there's a famous image of her um, in 1963 playing chess completely naked. Uh, <laughs> with, I with think Marcel, Marcel Duchamp. Yeah. Duchamp. 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 Okay, Duchamp. with Marcel Duchamp. I think that's freaking awesome. And he's fully clothed. She's just completely naked. Yeah. I mean, coolest thing in the entire world. But she kind of became a lot more quiet, a lot more recluse toward the end of her career. She did get into like a f- accident where she dropped some ashes under her skirt while driving. Yeah, she, set yeah, herself she, ablaze. Yeah, she set herself ablaze, which is like... So scary. It's, it's horrific. Yeah. She kind of grew up in the same era as Joan Didion. They kind of have a very similar writing style, but I feel like... I mean, the really, the thing that sets Eve apart was she was born and raised in L.A. Joan was not born and raised in L.A., so there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have, here's the thing. It's, I don't even think it's a debate. Like, mm-hmm. I think Joan Didion and Eve Babbitt, which is also really strange. They both died this year. They both mm-hmm. died within the same week of each other, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. Because when I feel like I think of the two California writers, mm-hmm. like, I don't think of John Steinbeck. I think of Eve Babbitts and Joan Didion. Mm-hmm. But also to me, I feel like even though Joan Didion wrote about LA, she felt more Northern California to me. Yeah. In her aesthetic and in her personality, like I think that there's also I should just preface this with I am from LA, <laughs> like Eve Babbitts. I am an LA Jew, born and raised. But I I also think to me that the difference in the Northern California and Southern California sentiment is I think Northern Californians have access to more nature. I think they're a little more reserved. I think that they have a little more respect for themselves. And I think that Southern Californians, we just like to get in there. We just like to have fun. We like to party. We like to not think about the mistakes that we're making and wake up the next day and relive the memories and never really deal with anything. I love that. I um I was talking with a friend. She's from East Coast, born and raised East Coast, and she said she took a trip to California, and it's the only time she's been to California. And she said I went there, and the people were just too nice. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like that that's California, coastal California to a T. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are too nice. We're probably judging you, but yeah. we're very but nice. To your to face, you. very. You'll nice. never know. <laughs> You'll never know. Never know. So yeah, she did. Um, she died in December 2021 at age 78, just a couple days in between Joe Didion. So it is um, it's tough losing both of those just legends in the same week. But it meant that Eve Babbitt's kind of came to the forefront of cultural conversations once again. So that was really cool to kind of see the renaissance of Eve Babbitt's and Joe yeah. Didion. I I feel like Joan gets talked about a lot, Mm -hmm. and I think that she gets taught a lot. I I don't think Eve Babbitt's does. Um, I found out about her because of a New York Times article that came out a few years ago. But, you know, after her accident, it wasn't really like she was talked about or seen very much. And I mean, even like in the later days of her life, like I remember reading, and I think it was the Times obituary of her, like she became very like conspiracy theorist kind of internet driven and we kind of like kind of lost her sensibility that she had had because she Mm -hmm. had just been inside for so long and all that 
So it's funny because I think that like really she didn't even know herself by the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that Joan Didion was always her integrity was such a part of her. And so I think it's like she kind of kept herself at the forefront of literary conversations, whereas Eve was kind of whether or not she was content, she did fall to the wayside. Mm. Which is so sad. It's very sad. Because she's a brilliant author. Yeah, like phenomenal. And just has such a funky way of like telling stories, which is yeah, so fun, which we will get into. Segwaying into her book, L.A. Woman, uh, quick facts about this book. Uh, it's rated 3.6 stars out of 5 on Goodreads, which honestly, when you read a Goodreads book, you always want to take account. I would usually give it like half a star more because people on Goodreads are just awful. Um, <laughs> they're they're That's so what hard. This is really about this is, this a is no really Goodreads. Yeah, podcast. it's not. Um, but yeah, usually I add about half a point there, so I think it's around. It's a good four out of five on Goodreads, is what I would say. And then it was originally published in 1982, and um, they've come out with multiple copies since then with different forewords and different prefaces, but. Um, originally published in 1982. And then there's a Hulu show that came out in 2017 that's based on Babbitt's um, four books. So Eve's Hollywood, Slow Days, Fast Company, and Sex and Rage. And then, of course, LA Woman. Yeah. I didn't know that either until I was doing this research. So I got to go watch it. I think it's called LA Woman. um, And it's on Hulu. It's kind of a weird book where there's not really a storyline. There's not really a you know, rising action, climax, falling action. Here's the. Yeah, end it's of the not book. following the hero's journey. It's not. <laughs> and I would, I would say, as the kids would say, it's just vibes. It's just, it's just vibes. <laughs> um, do you want to take us through some main characters that we come across in this book? So I would say Sophie is really big. Lola, her aunt, mm-hmm. is very big, and I'm trying to think. I'm going to describe them, but I'm just trying to think of the other characters were big i would say her mother is quite big we don't really talk about her though in terms of her name um what's... i mean to me and then jim morrison is kind of a big character thematically but not mm-hmm. actually so sophie the main character switches ages we we go back and forth time period wise so she starts at 17 we then see her in her later 20s we see her in her 30s and her aunt Lola is probably in her 40s when we meet her and kind of is probably in her 70s when we last see her. Uh, same thing with her, with Sophie's mom. And then obviously Jim Morrison is the lead singer of The Doors and we, we have a chance encounter with him for a little bit. Uh, but we can describe that when we get to plot. But it's essentially just about, I mean, the book, the title is pretty self-explanatory. It's about LA women and... Mm-hmm what makes LA women distinct and so basically you're just kind of finding out the lives of these women it's not that anything particularly significant happens it's just more about who they are Mm -hmm. no that's a perfect way to describe it it's um you know it's following the story of like a young girl who just wants to be independent in this city that you know that's kind of notoriously known for being Kind of radical, crazy California, do whatever you want, smoke a bunch of weed, rock and roll, that type of thing. <laughs> smoke a bunch of weed, rock and roll is a really good way to describe LA. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah, it's just fascinating. And it, and it also kind of touches on that immigrant story as well with her Aunt Lola, who is a German immigrant and coming into LA and 
kind of how do you make your way in the world when you're coming into California? I know that some people, um, you kind of hear the story kind of coming from the other coast, coming into New York and trying to make your life there. Um, and so it's very, I think, I think I've read a lot of those stories. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think what makes the three women in this book really distinct is the youngest is from LA, born and raised. Mm -hmm. The mom isn't an immigrant to America. She's from Texas, Mm -hmm. but she is an immigrant to LA. Mm -hmm. And then you have Lola, who's a German immigrant to the, to the States and specifically to LA. But I think LA is really distinct in the sense that it is a place where other Americans immigrate to. Yes. You know, like almost no one you meet who lives in LA is from LA. And the Mm. people who are from LA, I think are very distinct because it, and she talks, she touches on it in the book. It's not a real city. It's kind of like it's all a stage. And the people who live there, because not many people are from there, the people who live there are kind of trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's ne- no one's ever fully comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what spurs a lot of this kind of manic energy that's created a lot of weed and a lot of rock and roll, like you were saying. So, yeah. And then also, I mean, it's a Jewish family, right? And so touching on the German immigrant thing, like I'm an L.A. Jew and I don't really know a ton about L.A. Jewish immigrant history because it really isn't talked about as much as New York. It's really not talked about as much as the East Coast. So that's the other kind of interesting part of this book is you have this Jewish family that touches on their history in LA but it's not like they're totally touching on their history pre-LA other than Lola and even then she kind of defines her life by when she moved there Mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's so fascinating that you kind of mentioned the immigration from the states like from Texas into LA because you definitely hear that story I mean it follow you know she touches on her mother's story where it's she was a small town girl in Texas, middle of nowhere, and wanted to become famous. And so, of course, she moves to L.A. because that's where you become in movies and plays. And that's where you find your fame right there. And, of course, that doesn't happen for everyone. And so what what does that look like when you move to L.A. to try to become famous, but you just, like, fall just a little bit short? And then you're kind of – then you have kids in L.A. And then how do they grow up? And are they seeking that same fame? Are they wanting to – you know, be in movies? Are they trying to become the one person that finally breaks through? And then it kind of tells that story of Sophie and how she's, you know, being a groupie of Jim Morrison and like really wants to like follow him around. And does she want that fame for herself? It's just like this fascinating kind of almost like a cycle that you're following in LA. And it's, it's also fascinating because my my grandmother moved to Orange County. She moved there from North Dakota because she wanted to just get out. And so she moved to Orange County. And then and so it's just like my grandma was kind of – I like to think of her as kind of the hip mom, like trying to figure it out in California. And she was one of those people that went there and stayed there, and she's been there ever since. And I think it's either you go there, you love it, you fall in love with the culture and – California and you just end up staying there or you figure out that that's not for you and you it's really not for you and then you leave (laughs) it's really hard to not idealize it though because I grew up in Colorado and I idealized the Southern California LA San Diego life 
And I wanted yeah. that for myself. I wanted it so bad. And I went to college in San Diego and I dreamt of, you know, living that Cal- Southern California lifestyle. And when I got there, it's not the same. And yeah. it felt not not fake per se, but it felt like it was unattainable for what I wanted to do. And so then it's kind of yeah. an interesting when you realize that and then you have to figure out what next. Totally. I mean, you know, again, she I think she does a good job talking about that sensation in the book because mm-hmm. I think even when you're growing up in LA, you still aren't growing up in the LA that you want to be growing up in. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, my parents are also born and raised in LA and I think they grew up in the LA that we all fantasize about. You know, and my mom has said as much. She grew up at a time where it still wasn't fully built. She would walk Mm -hmm. to middle school or elementary school and there would be orange groves that she was passing. Like, you know, I think we forget how new of a city LA is Mm -hmm. and how experimental California really still is for our country. I mean, like, you know, this is not an original thought, but people end up in California because it's the farthest west that you can go. Mm. It's, it is a liter, it's li- the literal escape in America is California. So that's the thing is everyone is weird. Everyone has an eccentric quality because they're all the rejects. You know what mm. I mean? Like they're everyone who didn't fit in and then they made a state. And so it's kind of like this great weird experiment in America and you know I don't think it's fully worked because it doesn't work for everybody and it isn't everyone's fantasy and I I think often you know even me growing up I wanted to be an actor I wanted to do all these things but like you're saying that only works for a precious few Mm -hmm. so most of California is people trying to get to where they want to be or having failed at where they want to be. Mm. And I think California really only totally works for the people who did make it in the way that they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of us, it's just about figuring it out. And like you said, either you do or you move on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fascinating. And I think, you know, multiple places in in the U.S. have this as well. I mean, I think of Nashville, oh, where you go and... Every single person that is serving you a drink or a meal, like they are going to every open mic night, they are going to oh, every yeah. writer's round, and they are performing every single weekend, every single night if they can. And they're just trying to break through. And that is almost what it feels like in LA. You know, you go to a you go to a coffee shop and they're trying to become an actor. They're going to all these auditions. It's just like you're meeting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these people and you're really thinking to yourself, how many of you are actually going to make it, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's a frightening thought, isn't it? Because you're realizing what they haven't yet, Mm -hmm. which is if you're at that restaurant and I know that you're in your late 20s, I don't know if it's going to come, man. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, look, my drama teachers growing up, all failed actors, you know what I mean? And like all, some of them were still auditioning, but some of them had had accepted it. So it's, I don't know, there's a bittersweetness Mm -hmm. to living somewhere like that. And I'm sure someone who grew up in Nashville would say the same or grew up in New York. Although I think in New York, people enjoy the hustle a little bit more. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a sadness to LA that there maybe isn't 
in New York. And I think that actually on the surface, people would assume the opposite. Yes. But I think if you live in New York, you enjoy life being hard. You want to struggle every day. Like that's why you're getting up there. You want your part of the fight. If you live in LA, you you moved to LA because you wanted an easy breezy life. Mm. And chances are it didn't necessarily come and you had to cope with that. Mm. Yeah. God, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I highlighted this and I was just like, this explained LA to the T. When I got to Southern California, this is like what hit so hard and she says uh there is of course no tree bush or flower called hollywood any place on earth and in fact the only two kinds of things which actually grow indigenous to hollywood at all are either black oaks or brush in september as lola breathed in the smell smelled only of dryness about to go up in flames but at least not of garlic (laughs) and that is like it is so fascinating it's like talking about like you know there. There's nothing natural about this city. No, there's, it's a city built on a desert. Yeah, there's nothing. It's just completely man-made. It's completely, I don't know. It's just fascinating because when you get down there, that's all you see. You see suburbia for miles, and then you see LA, the city, and then you see another suburbia for miles, and then you see the city, and then it's just, there's nothing really in between. There's not really mountains. There's not really like there are beaches, but again, those are all man-made as well. It's just, it's just like almost plastic and fake and almost too good to be true. And then when you get there, you kind of see that for yourself. From the outside looking in, you're like, oh my gosh, that looks perfect. Like it looks perfectly made. Everyone there is so beautiful. Everything there, everyone's so happy. Everyone gets to go, you know, to Rodeo Drive and shop. Zoom in a little closer and you realize oh, all this stuff is like falling apart. <laughs> like this isn't well made. Oh yeah. No, it's all it's all falling apart. I mean, the other thing I love about this book, and listen, I'm a dork. I'm majoring in history. I love history. I'm a total <laughs> dork for it. And this book has got a lot of history in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find it fascinating. Like she talks about the dinky, Lola said, that little railroad train they used to have going up Canyon Drive, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton, all those Western pictures they made, it, made up at the end, they'd carry the stars and all the extras. So, you know, talking about a streetcar that would carry all the Hollywood actors and workers through the center of Hollywood. Like, what's weird is there is nature. Like, like you're saying, there is the mm-hmm. beach. You know, there's Angeles Forest. There are places that you can go. But yes, it, it was a city built and we can get in it's fascinating the the racial inequality that's in LA history you know it there is a reason that there isn't public transit uh, transportation throughout the city and that is because white people really wanted their suburbia to stay intact and they really didn't want to see people of color and so there's a lot of i mean for lack of a better word shittiness to the way that LA has been planned out there's a lot of darkness mm-hmm. and i think she touches upon that I think she touches heavily upon the darkness that there is in LA. And I mean, I I sound like I hate LA from this podcast. I really love LA. I think that there's a lot of great (laughs) parts of LA. But I think for anyone who's moving there or is idealizing it, what I like to tell people is it is a lot darker and a lot dirtier than it is in your head. It's LA. That's like all you can say is like it, it does have its very dark side to it. But there is a lot to love, like you were saying. There's a ton to love. And I think getting into the book, 
because we, we keep talking about LA. We haven't I know. Really talked about the book. I, but, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're together. Go together. But I will say, you know, the book takes place in the 60s. To me, and also, again, my dad was born in 57. My mom was born in 63. If you talk to anybody who grew up in LA, what do they tell you ended the 60s? Charles Manson. Like, mm-hmm. and that happened right in the heart of LA. So this captures a pre-Manson 60s mm-hmm. and the glory of rock and roll and the glory of sunset. And I think if you've ever read Pamela DeBar, I'm with the band, which actually is on our list and we will get to, she Pamela DeBar was a real groupie, just like Eve Babbitt's. And getting into the rock and roll world of LA from a, a female perspective is fascinating mm-hmm. because I think rock is very male mm-hmm. and that world was very male. And groupies held this really unique space. They were muses, but they were also equally as sexual and partying and doing everything that the rock stars were and doing it hotter and doing it harder. And they have, I mean, it. they, they ran LA. They ran the Sunset Strip. They are what you think of when you think of the 60s in Los Angeles. And so reading this book from the perspective of a 17-year-old groupie and someone who is excited to be there, you get excited. Like, how can you not? How can you not get excited about hooking up with one of your favorite musicians or walking down the strip or, you know, all of these things that we've all fantasized about that this person lived and she's given it to us. She's given it to us. And it's such a gift to be able to read it so well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's so true. Like she touches on that wild, wild west kind of theme of LA where the 17 year old is, you know, trying to convince her parents to let her stay home alone so she can finally lose Lose her virginity. virginity. (laughs) I love that. Like that is so funny. And it's like so relatable even to who, like whoever you're talking to. I think this line like is great. She says, people in LA had just had no real sense of what a true city was. But since I was not prepared for a true city, it was hard to imagine what people with real sense were like. And she's <laughs> talking about like these neighbors that move in that were very uptight, very rule following people. And she was yeah. not used to that. And, you know, she's kind of growing up as this wild child who is living in LA like to the fullest and she brings this neighbor and so they're on the walk of fame and they see Marilyn Monroe and her and they're so excited and then when they get back to the house her friend's mom is like well why were you late and they're like oh so Marilyn Monroe and she's like I don't care don't ever be late again (laughs) and like you're gonna take direct direct route home it just shows that opposition that you kind of find in a city like LA And you have this 17-year-old wild child, but you also have this, like, again, same age type gal, but living in a very strict household. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, listen, I went to an arts high school. There were not many of us who, you know, I was one of the very few buttoned up, like, I'm going to do my work and I'm not going to go to parties until senior year. And like, you know, I was the nerd, but like all of my friends. I mean, you know, people didn't go to college. People dropped out in junior year. Like LA, fame is the currency, right? So no one's thinking, oh, I'm going to go to the University of Michigan and get a degree in accounting and probably settle down in Rhode Island. Like, no, everybody's going like, 
I think I'm going to join this modeling agency. Like my friend has a hookup and blah, 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 blah. Like it's like no one is thinking about it. I mean, to me, the line that also attacking onto your line, uh, she's talking to her mom and she says, mother, I once asked, you don't want me to become anything, do you? And uh, her mom says, only what you really want to be. But what if I don't really want to be anything? I'm sure everything will just be fine. She smiled. <laughs> There's two parts to that, right? Because of course the next line is, but of course in those days, the early 60s, girls could still get away with getting married and settling down with some lovely young man. And I, I do think at the core of this book that we haven't really touched on it is a femininity that doesn't really exist anymore, mm-hmm. which is, it was, it was like until the 80s, and I guess even until the 90s, I mean, really like, basically until the 21st century you know it was you got married mm-hmm. you got married you settled down like the fact that we're sitting here right now doing a podcast both having gone to college you know like one of us being single like it's like that's insane we're mm-hmm. we're in our 20s what are we doing if we're not engaged like what are you talking about you know what i mean like so I'm 23 i should be pregnant with my third child by now i mean seriously jenna what are you doing like <laughs> You know, so it, it's that's the other part is for someone to have be this for her to open the book with I want to lose my virginity for her to talk about sleeping with guys and living on her own and not really giving a shit about getting married or having kids. That's unheard of at this moment. Mm. Like she was expected that her everything in her life would just amount to whoever she ended up with, whoever she supported and she wasn't content to do that. And I mean, look, this book wasn't released till the 80s. So, you know, it's not as if she released this in 69. And it was some like huge revelation. But the mm-hmm. mere fact that she existed meant that there were other women like her. And that's the reason that we're basically sitting here today is that there were enough women who were like, mm, no, screw this. Like, yeah. I want to go have fun. Um, I don't really want to be anything. And I feel like I should be allowed to just lays around as much as any old dude who's like up there with a guitar yeah well and it's so true too it's like that that hit home too because I remember when I was applying for college when I was applying for college like luckily I picked a major that I actually enjoyed when I first applied I didn't like that was a complete stab into the dark picking journalism and even now here I am working at an ad agency and not really using my journalism degree and working with social media. And then now I have a podcast. So like, whatever. But, (laughs) but that sentiment of, do I even want to go to college? Like, I don't even know what I want to do in college. Do I want to like, what do I see for my life after that? And, you know, there was a time where I just wish I could have you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to go move somewhere, work as a waiter and like figure things out. And yeah, the fact that she kind of touches on that feeling, that deep feeling where I don't, I don't even know what I want to do. So why can't I just figure it out? Yeah. Just be me for right now. Like live my life right, right where I am instead of thinking 10 steps ahead. Yeah. That's kind of what's been ingrained in you now. And like back then she's writing from the form of, (laughs) here's a great piece. She's writing from this mindset in 1963 when I was 20. Girls my age could either get married and live happily ever after or else fade into oblivion and become spinsters. <laughs> and and so, she chooses to become a spinster. She be, yeah. So it's like you can either 
Like those were the two options. And it feels like even today, you know, you still have to become successful in this way or this way or else you're going to not become successful. It's just like those rules have changed. Yeah. It's the, it's the rat race, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm doing my dissertation right now on the concept of slacker, which I know Jenna is already tired of me talking about. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Um, You know, like really what I talk about in my dissertation is there are kind of two histories of America. There are the people who enjoy hard work culture and the ethos of hard work that we have built this country around since the Industrial Revolution. And then there are the people who lag behind. And Mm -hmm. if you lag behind, you're seen as failing. There's not a ton of options for you. And I think the concept that she's touching on is is in this is what would be called slacker down the line in the 90s. It's the concept that like, not working is as much of a right as working is. Mm. And I should be allowed to have a low pay job and an apartment for one and just figure myself out. And if you have it figured out, that's great. But like she goes to work in a movie theater. I would be so content right now to just go sit in a movie theater for hours and like read and talk to strangers and like try to figure who out who I am. But I also think it's fascinating. Like there's a line towards the end of the book where she's gotten a little bit older And she said, suddenly I realized everyone was too old for the way that we were behaving. Mm. And that really hit me because I think the other core theme of this book is youth. Mm. Even though her mother and her aunt Lola are older, and even though she's got these these older women very prevalent in her life, they are hanging on to their memories and they're hanging on to their youth. And she's surrounded by people in her life who are desperate not to die who are desperate not to go grow older and so that realization coming at the end of the book she she's become one of them Mm -hmm. and I think she's okay with it but I think that she's not okay with how that's being perceived Mm. and I think that that's a really big thing that ties into the work thing too is like there are a lot of positions that we ourselves would be comfortable in if we were alone in a room for our whole lives. But societal pressure dictates otherwise. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who I think wasn't really built for society. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Oh, my God. Just want (laughs) to let that pause mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Um. I, I feel like we just keep pulling quotes, but this, I'm serious. Like, if you just look at my book, it's just all highlighted. Oh my God, same. It's all dog-eared and highlighted. That's yeah. it. Um, so go pick up probably just your own copy for yourself so you can just keep referencing back. Um, yeah. <laughs> but something that, a quote that tied into that, she says, maybe some people come into this world thinking things are too small and they can't do anything unless it's enormous. And like Jim, the trouble was trying to find something enormous enough to leave a mark with. Perhaps an eight-foot-high pencil, but that still didn't make the person pushing the pencil the right size. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I feel like that was my whole issue when I was in college and even to today. I still struggle with it where I wanted to make a mark on this world and I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And when I got into college, I was like, oh, I'm going to become an award-winning journalist. Like, I'm going to tell the stories of the people that don't get their stories told. That's exactly what I'm going to do. That's my purpose. And then COVID happened. And 
it happened right at the tail end of my senior year of college. And that's the time when you're applying for jobs and you're getting your first job out of college. And that's, you know, sets the tone for the rest of your career. And that's what I was told. And so then, you know, I'm trying to apply to jobs. I keep getting rejected. I keep getting ghosted. And then I end up in a podcast production company. And I'm like, okay, great. This is this is where I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to tell stories. And then that doesn't work out. And so then now I'm telling stories through social media. And so it took a while, but it's like, that's maybe not, that's not my calling to do, like become an award-winning journalist and tell those stories that way. Maybe it is. Maybe sometime down the line, I get back to it. Who, who the frick knows? But it's that idea that, that what I had to do to change the world had to be enormous, had to be, you know, had to be nationally recognized. And I think that's like the pressure that falls on these young kids. And it fell on Sophie in the book that what you have to do has to be big. Like you either have to be a, an actor that makes it big in the world or you're a slacker or you're a failure. And how do you make a mark in the world that's that big? And if you're if you're not given the tools to do that. And so how do you make your mark in the way that you want to make it? And so yeah. for her, it was, you know, being that kind of spinster, kind of fun, loud person and being able to do whatever she wants and being really comfortable in her own skin. A very interesting thing with tying into youth, too. It's like when you're young, the whole world is in front of you. And so it's like, how do you choose what you want to do? And how you're going to make an impact in this world. It's like a scary thing to put on the shoulders of a 17-year-old. Oh, it's <laughs> terrifying. But also that's why I talked about Jim Morrison being such a looming presence in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, she even ends, the last page is ended on him. She says, of course, normal people will think that art can be taken too far. But the trouble with being normal is it stops you from being great. And Jim knew exactly what great was. Mm. But I think like you were saying with that earlier uh, quote, what she's wrestling with with that character and with that persona, and believe me, we could do an entire 50 minutes on Jim Morrison, I would be happy to happy <laughs> to attend that. I have a lot of complex feelings about Jim Morrison. But I think he is a great example of both the best of fame and the worst of fame. And I think that it there is no one who can be famous. Fame is not a natural state for any of us, and yet we all chase it. And I think that with social media, it's more prevalent than ever. And I think that the process of getting there is the most exciting part. But then it happens. And I think... For anyone who knows what happened to Jim Morrison, died in a bathtub. For most rock stars, and for really any famous people, it's a pretty rocky road once you've gotten there. And I think it's like, we are so afraid of being normal. We're terrified that we're not going to make a mark. But I think Eve Babbitt's more than anyone has shown, you know, look, the character of Sophie is a character, but it's also just Eve Babbitt's. And it's like, she made her mark. Mm -hmm. And it, wh what's fascinating is this is someone who thought her life was over. She got burned. She became reclusive. Her words disappeared from the world. Like, we didn't remember her. And then one day, thank God, we all remembered her again. And it's because she was a great writer, because she had experiences, because she shared those experiences. And I think we all think we have to do more than just live. But this is someone who became famous through simply living. You know, that's 
that she has a legacy now and we're talking about her now because of the experiences that she had. God, that's good. I, I just like, <laughs> I want to quote all of the stuff that you're saying. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're making me blush jenna i'll take a class by you um <laughs> i think i'm Melika bacon and this is my master class <laughs> on eve babbitt i feel like we can keep talking for ages and ages and ages and that's that's the sign of a really 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 good writer totally um, if you can just keep talking about their book and keep quoting them and keep <laughs> and then you know, we highlighted the same quote. So we'll end it on that note. I think that was really great. But let's uh, let's kind of get into our final ratings, our final thoughts on this book. I, I don't think it'll be a surprise to anyone. Um, I, I gave it a four and a half out of five. It's incredible. I mean, it's I didn't give it a full five. Only this is personal preference because I am much more of the traditional storyline person. So books like this tend to be a little confusing and a little bit harder to read for myself. The way Eve Babbitt's writes made this a heck of a lot easier than normal books that are of this nature, that are kind of scatterbrained, kind of pulling in different memories, kind of all over the place. But the way that she writes, again, I've highlighted pretty much every other page in this book with quotes and with thoughts, and I reflect on them. It's just, she's a great writer. So four and a half stars out of five, I'm going to give it a five out of five just because I think the true mark of a great writer is someone who can break form. And I think Mm -hmm. that she is a master of nonlinear writing because like you just said, she's an incredible writer. And so you don't get lost, which rarely happens with a book like this. But yeah, no, I mean, I I guess my final thoughts on this would be, I, I don't feel like I... I defended LA enough in this podcast. (laughs) So I I do just want to say that she does show every side to it. And I think that you walk away from this book, understanding the ugliness of LA, but also loving it because it is such a unique place. And I think that there is truly nowhere else in the entire world like it. And I think that everyone should experience it at least once um, before it completely tumbles into the ground. (laughs) Cause I think that's, that's coming, especially post COVID. Um, Yeah, but no, I'm going to give it a five out of five. Um, I highly recommend reading her other stuff. I think Eve's Hollywood is a great book. Um, It's a collection of essays and from just more Eve Babbitt stories. You know, I I really wish that she had gotten more of her due while she was alive, but I'm so glad that she's getting her due now. And I, I just think it's a great book on womanhood too. I think it's a really great book on just the power of the badassery of being a woman at every age Mm -hmm. yep i put that in my notes too i love that (laughs) all righty we'll end with our pairings for the show this one it was tough to pick one or like it was tough to pick like just i picked three well i picked a tv show a book and a movie but it was hard to just pick one of each because of course there's so many gajillions so many great stories of LA so you can really just throw a dart at a board and pick a great movie for a tv show I did never have I ever on Netflix nice (laughs) I love that show um (laughs) I really do I think it's a great story of growing up in in Southern California and growing up around people that are famous people that are rich people that aren't so famous and aren't so rich and also growing up in kind of that immigrant household 
and the pressures that are put on you in in that sort of circumstance and going to a school with kids from all backgrounds as well. I think it's just funny. It's just lighthearted. My book is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, This one is New York, so it is not LA, but it takes place of that kind of growing up in a Growing up in like, this one's 1940s New York, um, so just a little bit beforehand, but growing up in a city where you can kind of become anything you really want to be if you put your mind to it, and she is in the theater in New York, and so this one's also on our list, I believe, for this year, so we'll, we'll read this one too, but it's just a great, it, the, Sophie and the main character in City of Girls have are very similar and so I think if you really like the character Sophie, I think you'll really like the book City of Girls. And it is a similar feel of, you know, she moves to New York and then tries to become something great and things don't exactly pan out the way that she thinks. So it's a great little story there. And then a movie. This is so tough. But I had to land on Almost Famous. Uh, I knew you were going to say I, it. I was going to do the same thing. It's immediately what comes to mind. Yeah. Immediately. It's a great, not only is it a great journalism movie, because it is. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, just you wait. Go on. I'm about to go off. I'm about to go off. Go. But it's just so good. It, Kate Hudson is phenomenal in that movie. and uh, She's phenomenal. It just takes that grungy life of a groupie, just exciting, everything can happen, and I just love that movie. I love it to death, so. Yeah. I mean, my, so my pairings, well, A- uh, I do want to recommend, which again is on our list, Pamela DeBars, I'm with the band, um, who the character of Penny Lane, played by Kate Hudson in Almost Famous, is based on. I My other recommendations were films. So Almost Famous is one. It is famously my favorite movie of all time. I have a tattoo that is a quote from Almost Famous. It's on my arm in a bad place that you can't see right now. Um, <laughs> Lester Bangs, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie, says, to get through this world, you got to be honest and unmerciful. I live by that every day. That movie is my favorite thing of all time, and I think that it is a work of art, so everyone watch that movie. Uh, but my other two recommendations are two movies that are about teenagers growing up in L.A. or, like, around L.A., that is Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, which just came out this year, starring the great Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Whoa, so many through lines right now. Um, and then Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is written by Cameron Crowe, who directed and wrote Almost Famous. So really, mine's being boom, blown boom, boom. right now. But Fast Times at Ridgemont High is basically kind of like this book come to life because it's just about the sexual escapades of teenagers uh growing up in southern california and i mean there it's like the late 70s early 80s but it's still the same gist there was like another one oh saved by the bell of course oh saved by the bell is a great one great one great one uh fresh prince bel-air you could do literally the new bel-air coming out it's going to be a big one. That's right. The Snow new Bel Air is coming out. I do feel like we should stop now because I think like my entire letterbox favorite movies of all time are just like movies about <laughs> teenagers in the 70s. And I feel like I could just go off on another hour long tangent. So I'm just going to stop myself while I'm ahead. Anyways, that's our episode. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Farewell. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. 
and please go leave us a review. Tell us what you liked and what you want more of. If you want more book-related content, then you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t. Now, stay tuned for our Small Sips episode where we do a 10-minute deep dive on any book-related topic. Now, you may have noticed, if you're an avid listener, which I know many of you are, that I missed last week's Small Sips episode. Yes, life does get in the way sometimes, and I'm so sorry for that. But this week, we will be doing the small sips I promised you last week. So we will be diving deep into what makes a man the tall, dark, handsome men. Why does that make them attractive? And next Monday, Sierra and I will be discussing The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. Quite the conversation. You won't want to miss it. I know I say that about every episode, but... You really don't want to miss any episode, so make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks, all. Bye.